Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, in this holy season of Lent, we come to you, and I just thank you for how this is lined up. We are today contemplating uh, your death uh, on our behalf. Um, if you had not submitted yourself uh, to this uh, cross, we would not be here today. We, would, no, we might not be here at all. And I just thank you, Lord, for this gospel, this good news uh, that you have died uh, for our sins. And I ask God that you would make that truth ever more present and palpable and precious, transformative to us, that we might do your will for your glory as your people. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Alright friends, we are in week 6 of 6 of part 11, which means I counted them up. This is lesson 54 of Matthew. Lesson 54, that means we got two more to go uh, as we look next week at resurrection. And uh, spoiler alert, he, he comes back. Um, and, uh, and, then, and then Great Commission. So... Uh, but today we are uh, we are on the cross. Um, well, he is on the cross. If you remember last week, we looked at um, the mocking of Jesus with the with the Roman guards and this sort of mock enthronement, and also uh, the crucifixion in which uh, Simon of Cyrene uh, was compelled to carry his cross. Uh, two robbers crucified with him. The uh, just the almost the play-by-play really of Psalm 22, which we're actually going to look at again today. Um, and uh, with the the passers-by wagging their heads and mocking him, he saved others. He can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down. If he had come down, he would not be the king of Israel. Um, and so it was there that on the throne that he was. Um, uh, there on the cross, that he was really enthroned, as he will be in another way when he when he returns, and as he is now, as he's uh, seated at the right hand of the Father. But now Jesus is has been crucified, uh, and everybody is reviling him, and that's where we are. We're at noon. That's the sixth hour. Um, is noon. And it says, uh, verse, starting with verse 45, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. So from noon to three o'clock. And at about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. So, from noon to... Three o'clock, Jesus is on the cross, naked, derided by even those who were crucified with Him. 
Now, of course, Luke tells us about the that one thief is, is actually repentant. Um, Matthew tells us that there was darkness over, uh, over the land. Now, uh, w- one of the scholars I looked at said it, it couldn't have been a solar eclipse because the Passover was a, a full moon. So I don't... That was news to me. So those of you who know about these things, can a full moon... Uh, you can't have a lunar eclipse at a full moon? Josh? <laughs> Where is Allie when I need her? Uh, yeah, that's... Uh, um, so I don't, that's what he said. But anyway, so the, what it seems like is that it's um, I, I didn't I didn't know about that, but it's what it seems like is that it was uh, unusually heavy cloud cover. Uh, but what is what? Yes, John. I always look at the darkness as sin. He took on the sin of the world. Yes. Well, he sin t- is considered, considered sin is darkness. Sin is darkness. This is you always consider it sin. Yes. So that's. Um, what what Matthew is clear about is is he's not trying to make an, uh, a statement about the climate. He's making a statement about the spiritual state, right? That the Son of God is dying, and that God the Father, w- though He wills it, is not happy about it. And why? Because there is a barrier bet- that is coming between Him and the Son, which is in fact sin itself. Uh, absolutely. So this is um, whether or not it was cloud cover or a solar eclipse or I mean whatever it is. Um, oh yeah, so it's this, it can't be a solar eclipse because the moon would have been on the other side. It's not a lunar. I got it. All right, Psalm twenty-two. Psalm it was God who did it. Well, sure. I mean, maybe just, yeah, he put his hand over the sun. You know, it, it, however it was, it, it turned, turned the light switch. And Jesus cries out with a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So I'm going to go back to Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a, it is amazing. It is, it is despair. Jesus is quoting Scripture. It is, which is, an, is more evidence that he's in, even in his physical weakness, he is totally in control. Um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? My God, I cry day by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let Him deliver him. Let Him rescue him. For He delights in him. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And and for my clothing they cast lots. 
Um, it seems that probably was the Romans who heard him say, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, and thought he was calling for Elijah because they weren't, wouldn't have been as familiar with the language. I mean, you would, presumably the, the, those who were Hebrews, uh, those who spoke Aramaic, uh, would have known exactly what he was saying, uh, and they would have recognized the psalm. But um, it's, it's, uh, they want to see, so they hear Eli, and they, they think he's calling Elijah. No, no telling what rumors had gone through about the coming of Elijah or the coming to, you know, whatever it was. But um, Jesus nevertheless says, my God, he quotes Psalm, the psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My question for you is, has God the Father forsaken God the Son? You say no. I say for a moment he did. Okay. That was the plan, right? For, for Okay. What did you say? I say, I say he did forsake him. He did forsake him. Yes. Why do you say that? I say because he wanted to, uh, because the Father would remove Jesus from any contact of, of his presence and, and totally remove uh, you know, him from uh, his experience and his love for God. Yes. And he had to, uh, he had to suffer total Annihilation, if you would, from uh, from the from the earth. Yes, he had to suffer total annihilation. Um, okay, good. Dorsey, you said no, I think. Right, I, I said no because um, it, I, I, I think it may have been just a message to Jesus to the people from Jesus to the people. Not necessarily saying God forsake that his father had forsaken it. I mean, because it, uh, you know, he, he said it, earlier, he said, you know, if, if it be your will, then to remove this cup from me. He answered it. Because he didn't remove the cup, he didn't say, you know, why you forsake me. And I don't, I don't think that was God forsaking him on the cross. I think it's just. Okay. Yes, Susie. I don't know that God forsake him, but I think in his humanness, which I'm thinking he still has that human part to him, it seemed as though his human part thought he had been forsaken. The human, the 100% human part of, of Jesus felt forsaken. Right. I don't think God The God the Father didn't actually forsake him. The lowest point of Jesus' life, I think. Well, it, 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 I, that feeling of yeah. absolute abandonment. It was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A feeling I of. Agree, I agree with you. Yeah. I agree with what Susie said. Okay. I don't think God did. I think that's how He felt. Right. I think that Jesus knew exactly what was going on, and that everything He said was for our benefit. Everything He said was for our benefit. Well, that's. I mean, I, that. That's hard to argue with. I think that he did know what was going on. I think it was the plan, and I think he did forget, forsake him. It was not a permanent forsaking because he, um, he did raise him from the dead. But it, there was a moment where the father um, turned his back on the son uh, in, a, in a sense. Um, that, there, that for the first time in eternity, Jesus called, 
God the Son called out to God the Father, and, the, and there was no answer. Um, well, I, I think it's more that he was turned over to, to be uh, the will of the devil. He was turned over to the will of the devil. And that's where he was, the forsaken came from. Not that, you know, and I think they both, you know, God the Father and God the Son both knew what was taking place, but they both knew it had to take place in order for our sins to be, be forgiven. And there comes in the true love of God that he did it for our sake, even though it caused him so much torment. Yeah, I think that, I mean, you think about back to the garden, uh, uh, Dorsey, who has the coolest socks in the room, um, said, um, uh, sorry, Craig, sorry, bud, um, that, that he, um, remember, Jesus is sweating blood, that many, many people have faced their death with much more courage than Jesus. Why was Jesus so scared, so anxious and nervous about his death? I mean, we could say, well, he was going to die. It was going to be terrible. But it's because, it's because he faced separation from the Father. It is because he knew the cosmic ripping apart from, from God, of God the Son, from God the Father. God the Father had to forsake, had to turn His back, however you want to say it, had to be separate from God the Son because God the Son took upon the sin of the world. And it, in turning away from sin, He turns away from the Son. And in turning away from uh, the Son, who has taken upon our sin, He now can turn to us so that we can approach the throne of grace, so that He can look with favor upon us. I asked my, when I can very vividly, I remember sitting in um, my systematic theology class, we were talking about this moment, and I asked my professor, what does that do to the Trinity? And his answer was, I don't know. That was going to be my question, because, you know, as far as, you know, God forsaken. I mean, he's the, it's the Trinity. I mean, it is God the Son on the cross, but it's also God the Father because we believe in the Trinity. So I don't see how he's really forsaken. I'm Susie's human side crying out. If we assign goodness to God, how would he forsake his own son? That's my my issue. Because we also assign, the question is, if we assign goodness to God, which we don't, He is good, we don't assign it to Him, but we understand that He is good, how could He forsake His own Son? Well, that's, that's assuming that that forsaking is in fact bad. He is, it is not, he, it is good because he is, it is so He can accept those of us who are rightly sinners. It was the will of the Son, just as it was the, as the will of the Father. What happens to the fabric of the Trinity I don't have an answer, but God is bigger than that. And so, uh, I, one of my very favorite verses in all of Scripture, one of the most, the clearest uh, reverberations of, uh, of the Gospel is 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21? Got it memorized? What? That's your homework. For our sake. 
He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That is, that He who was perfectly pure became perfectly sinful, if there's such a thing. So that in Him, with that sacrifice, we might become the righteousness of God. And you know your own life to know that, that without a miracle, that's not going to happen. That is the miracle. And so God forsook the Son. God the Father forsook God the Son. Um, is that the right word? Forsook? Anyway, English, English majors. Um, uh, forsook God the Son. Forsaken? Forsaked? For? Turned his back on the, on the Son. So that so that he can turn his face towards us that is that is all of all of the scriptures ask the question how can sinful people have a relationship with the holy god and here is your answer my god my god why have you forsaken me he knows the answer of course but he is uh, fulfilling the scripture yeah so it's not like he's there going i don't know the answer he knows the answer but He is saying it for us so that we know that, it, that He has forsaken Christ in this quick moment so that He can not forsake us who turn to Him. Whoever believes in Me will not perish but have everlasting life. Even though He die, yet shall He live. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, I believe that You are the Son of God who is coming into the world. There's one in every church, sissy. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking of the Trinity. Yes. If Jesus is the Father, Holy Ghost is the Father, God the Father, God and the Holy Spirit were suffering too on that cross. I think God, I mean, He knew it was His plan and He had to do it, but He was suffering too. Well, Jesus is not the Father, Jesus is the Son. Their will is in perfect accord. They are distinct, and yet they are triune. So, were they, yes, were they suffering? Of course, they were suffering. But let's not was not there. It's not um, ice, you know, where it's three different forms of the same thing. It's three distinct persons, mm-hmm. one God. And so, again, I, the Son is not the Father, but the Son is God, and the Father is God. Yes. Stand the Trinity question? Oh, you can. <laughs> <laughs> in, in, in all of my humble understanding, um, as the mother of a very strong-willed daughter, um, who always felt like I was forsaking her, making her do horrible things, once she got on the other side, she spent a summer living with a family member while she was doing uh, an internship, and they had three teenage daughters, and she called me one day and said, Mama, I am so sorry. <laughs> oh, man, just wait till she has kids. That is... <laughs> so, so as far as, like, what happens with the Trinity, maybe, like, in that moment, it was the, why are you leaving me to this pain and suffering? But then on the other hand, like, Emma and I are closer now than we've ever been. So maybe it was more of a bonding thing than a separation. I mean, I don't think there's anything really wrong with seeing it that way. I, 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 think, I think however it settles us in our mind to be thankful for the fact that Jesus took the funnel of not just, not just the world's sin, but my sin. Your 
individual sin upon himself so that the Father could turn his face to you when you call, call out to him. Um, so it, it really wasn't him forsaking Jesus as if more so that he just turned his back so he could face us and say, see what I'm doing for you. Well, I mean, Jesus said it's forsaking. I'm not going to get you. You want to contradict Jesus, that's on you, man. I, I, um, Maybe I'm trying to put him in Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, don't let the father off the hook. I mean, this is messy stuff. Yeah, I like it. Okay? Yeah. I mean, like, it, it's, it's hard. Well, I think it was more for us, like you said, it was more for us. He said it. So we would contemplate and figure out why God forsaked us. It wasn't that he needed to understand it. He said it so it would be in the Bible. Well, remember I read Isaiah 53 last week. It was the will of the father to smite him, right? I mean, it was, and yet it was the will of the son to receive the smiting so that we might be rescued. Okay, so that's, that's what atonement is. I mean, that, that, our sin was paid for by his death. Um, did Jesus have to die? I mean, could it have been done another way? No. Well, so, okay, so quickly we say no, and then we're like, well, wait a second, he is God. You know, so let's not, let's not say that. There is... I, I think that it had to be done this way. I don't think it was. I don't think it was had to be done this way, and so God was confined to it. I think God designed it, and it had to be done this way. Like um, there is a theory called. I think it's called nonviolent atonement. And and the theory states that that the um, the cross happened because that's the way of the world. And what the real miracle of reconciliation is, in fact, the resurrection. And I want to tell you that that is hogwash. You cannot have any... There's no sense in a resurrection if you have not had the cross. The, there's no sense in a resurrection if you haven't had the cross. What is the, what is the resurrection seal if it hasn't... if it hadn't sealed the atoning of our sin and the offering of us uh, of life? The penalty for, our, uh, for sin is and always has been death. You cannot read the Old Testament and, and come to a different conclusion. And Jesus took that death upon himself. So I, th- I mean, like you might think, you might, and I would tell that to a, a proponent of nonviolent atonement, I, but I just don't see any sense in it. I, and I, I remember kind of, I actually was um, invited to debate somebody about this. And I said, well, I think you're going to have real problems with Paul. And... Um, and he said, well, I, I agree that there's still some work that needs to be done. In, in, other, in, other, in other words, I've got this theory, and I'm trying to figure out how to make the Bible fit into it. Uh, no, that's not how those things work. Like, we take the Bible and what it says, and we fit into that. Um, and, the, and, and Paul says, uh, in, not just in 2 Corinthians, but in, in all over Paul, that, that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice. That it was, it was uh, he became sin for us. That he took away... Um, that, that he, um, he suffered unto death uh, so that he might be raised up. I think his suffering, I mean, that gives me great comfort when I'm suffering because I think about what Jesus went through. Isn't it great that we have a God who understands suffering? Yes. When I'm in really bad pain, I think about those nails going through his hands. Mm. Say thank you, God. Yeah, physical pain, spiritual pain, anything that God understands. Relational pain, humiliation. 
man was hung on a cross naked in front of mockery. I mean, like, there is nothing he doesn't understand because he's been in it. He had to do it. But it's also the final sacrifice. That's right. There is no need for sacrifice. That's right. That is why I do not, and I may have said this before, when I break the bread in a lot of Episcopal churches, uh, Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And I do not say that except on Monday, Thursday. So get ready, it's coming. But um, (laughs) but I, I don't say it. Because he is sacrificed for us, and he always is sacrificed for us, but it, it has that feeling, that, I mean, that it's not the perfect tense, it's the present tense, that there's a re-sacrifice happening when you say that. And that's why I don't say it. Because, because it was a final sacrifice, once for all. Right? That's, that's why I don't say it. Anyway, that's, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yes. Uh, one thing I know Paul must have truly understood is Jesus said, in the end, he said, it is finished. Any questions that we have? Any I haven't doubt? gotten there yet. I haven't gotten there yet, Doc. I'm coming, man. You're preaching my sermon, man. You're stealing my thunder. All right. Yeah, stop reading ahead. Come on. All right, let's go there. All right, sponge, sponge, sour wine, remember the bile. It seems like an act of kindness. Matthew doesn't say. All right, it is finished. Go, Doc. Go. I'm there. What's Jesus emptied himself. And that term means he was totally devoid of any power of God by the Holy Spirit or anything else. He emptied himself. And once he said it is finished, there's nothing can be added to it, no subjection, nothing else. He did it, it's finished. And that's the greatest thing that I can think of is for my part, he finished my course. So they say, wait, let us see whether Elijah is going to come. And then Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. He, Matthew doesn't tell us what it is, but John does. It is finished. It is. He, what is finished? His mission, the payment, your striving. You're trying to prove yourself. You're trying to be enough before God. You're trying to save yourself. I should say, our trying to save ourselves, it is finished because of one sacrifice once for all. And then he yielded up his spirit. You know what that says in, in uh, the King James? The ghost. He gave up the ghost. That's, when I heard that the first time, I thought, oh my God. <laughs> I never knew where that phrase came from. I never gave it any thought. But that's where the, the phrase, gave up the ghost, when your old clunker car dies on the side of the road and say it gave up the ghost, that's I know y'all don't drive clunker cars. I know I'm just teasing, um, but I just never knew that about that phrase. Anyway, gave up the ghost. That's where it comes from, right there. And behold, this is verse fifty-one. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split, and the tombs also were open. What? And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. And there were also many women there looking 
from on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and the mother uh, of the sons of Zebedee. So three extraordinary events. He gives up the ghost and three things happen. The curtain of the temple is torn in two. There's an earthquake and then the zombie apocalypse. So the tombs are open, the dead are raised. Curtain now, there's, there was a few curtains in the temple, but likely this is, this is the, uh, the curtain of the inner sanctuary. And what I have heard over the years is that it was, it was said to be thick as a man's hand. Like this incredible, heavy fabric that just hung, hung there and, and, the, um, and, with, and represented, and no light gets through, it represents this, this wall uh, between the outside, and the Holy of Holies, which is where the presence of God was believed to dwell. And, um, and only one priest could go in there once a year to burn incense, um, but that was where God dwelt, and the curtain that separated God from the rest of humanity was torn from top to bottom, not from bottom to top where we are, that God himself, who had the strength to do it, was the one who ripped the curtain from top to to bottom, that is an amazing symbol. Whatever actually happened, I mean, I don't have any reason to believe it didn't happen. It just is remarkable that that if we just kind of nonchalantly say, that, I mean, here's the here's the cross over here on, uh, outside the walls on on Golgotha, and um, and then back in the temple they had uh, there was this earthquake, and I mean, you can understand if if it shook and it all fell down, but it, the shaking ripped. The curtain, that is weird, but it happened, it was the will of God. There was no separation from God anymore because he turned his face to us. And that all of us have access by his grace to enter the Holy of Holies or the throne room of God, throne room of his grace. There's an earthquake, things are shaken up, tombs are open. Now Matthew's the only one that says this. And whether it, it is kind of awkward because he says, and the tombs were open. And then after the resurrection, which had been on Sunday, like, what are they doing for the next couple of days? Like, it's just, gone they've gone fishing, right? They're, they're just, um, they're down in the Kidron Valley. Now, if you, if you um, for those of you who have been there, when you go down the Mount of Olives and back up, in, there, but the whole Kidron Valley is, is cemetery now. It's, it's all, there's a giant Jewish cemetery and a giant Muslim cemetery, if I remember, right, on, right on, the, on the walls, right below the walls. But I don't remember, was that, was that there then? Was there, is, that, is it that ancient or is it, it was? I think it was. Um, I mean, it's not, I mean, it's been built up, obviously, but, you know, but. Um, so now, now. Where they, where they came from, what they did, and how people reacted, it's not clear. It's very strange. And yet, what, Math, what is Matthew saying by telling us this? It was a big deal. It was a big deal. <laughs> yes. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Okay, yes, it was a big deal. Yes. Child dies, they have a, like a napkin or something in their hand and they tear it. And that's almost like that 
God was feeling the pain. Hmm. Okay. I can go there. For those who couldn't hear John, it says that uh, that that ripping of the curtain is like the the just the angst of God when Jesus dies. I can go with I can go with that for sure. But why 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 this raising from the dead? Why why did Matthew put it here and not on on Sunday morning? And I think it's because what Matthew's saying is it is in fact the death of Jesus, not just the resurrection, that is the key. I mean, we, can, we are right to see this both as one event. We talk about the cross, we mean the death and the resurrection. Um, that is, it is all the good news of the gospel. But, but I think he's saying it here because it is in the death of God that we are given life. And it's sealed for us in the resurrection. But it's uh, in that offer of eternal life. But I think it is, it is to say that our spiritual resurrection comes through the death of, of the Lord. Yeah, the, uh, it's, told, it's told, I don't know how true it is, but it's that Oxford could not pull this thing apart. It was the, the curtain. Oh, the curtain. Back to the curtain, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and uh, once, that, once that happened, it allowed us all to have access to God. Up until that time, only the high priest could go in just once a year. If he, they tied a rope on him, because oh yeah, because he was they did they tied a rope on him because he was probably going to die. They just pull him out. Yeah, uh, yeah that's <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, being a priest is tough. I'm going to tell you. Yeah, it didn't really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who was also a disciple of Jesus. And he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen shroud, and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. Now, what I've never noticed this before. That's the Sabbath. But what are the, what are the chief priests doing going to see the Romans on the Sabbath? That seems shady. And said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he's risen from the dead. The last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. You think maybe they might have like had a inkling that that was the, the son? Rather than think that the disciples, well, they covered all bases. Well, I mean, this, you know, th- people still tell you today that the disciples took the body. I mean, that's 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 we're we're going to talk next week when we we're going to talk about some theories of why you can trust that Jesus actually sort of like, almost like scientifically or, or rationally can believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. But yes, so what what is what is Matthew's emphasis in these two paragraphs? He was in the tomb. Wasn't Nicodemus also there? Yeah, John tells us that. Yeah, not Matthew. But Nicodemus was there. Yep. What, did, what else? What does Matthew 
getting at? He can't get out. Nobody's getting in that tomb and nobody's getting out of that tomb. The security of the tomb is, the, is what Matthew... So there, there is... Um, it wasn't just some sort of uh, off-brand tomb, right? It was, it was Joseph of Arimathea. It was, it was high dollar. This was, uh, this was, it was done right. This was, you know, <laughs> this was not Kmart tomb. This was, this was, the, uh, it was a high dollar tomb. So it was, it was well made and therefore it was easily or, or um, would have been perfectly sealed. And, and so, uh, and then there was, um, there were witnesses the early church would have known Mary Magdalene and Mary, the other Mary, and so they're sitting, they see it happen, and then there is this uh, guard there, and both the two most powerful institutions in the region, the Romans and the Jews, are working together to seal the tomb. Nobody getting in that tomb, nobody's getting out of that tomb. That's why when they're going on Easter morning, they're in the dark, and they're saying, who's going to open the tomb for us? And they put this, you know, we're told that he, uh, Joseph of Arimathea t- takes the body and wraps it in that clean linen shroud. And so you may have read about or heard about the Shroud of Turin, which is uh, believed to be the, sh- the shroud. And you can see the face of a man, and this is uh, sort of made by the blood. And, and people are, 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 I mean, some people really believe this, that's what it was, and, and some people don't. And I, honestly, I don't know enough to, to even make a decision about that. Some people I really love and admire have thought about that and believe that it is, but it is, um, uh, you, I mean, you can, you can Google the Shroud of Turin, and, and it will, um, and it'll come up. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a remarkable story, but nevertheless, was it the actual Shroud? I don't, I don't know that matters. What matters is that we know what happened, and, and Matthew is setting up the miracle of the resurrection, because there is no there's no way to get in or out. When you go to the, if you go to the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, um, that that houses both the cross and the tomb. And uh, there's a there's another place called the Garden Tomb, and you can kind of see uh, what it looks like and what it what it um, what it probably looked like at the time. But it's most people don't believe that the Garden Tomb is where Jesus was buried. There is that theory, but it's but there's. Most people believe it was, it's where the Church of the Holy Sepulchre was. And the, the mountain itself has been taken away, dismantled over the centuries. Because um, it's just limestone. It's not, it wasn't that hard. But um, they recently... They, um, I, should have, I should have looked it up. The, 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 there's a small little building inside the building that is uh, over the tomb. And that small little building is called the... What is it called? Anyway, the um, I want I want to think of it before Josh gets it. Um, but the um, the not long ago they had to redo it. It was falling apart, and and there's this fascinating um, National Geographic documentary, and they had to re they had to redo this um, structure because it was falling down. They actually had to remove, they didn't know, like there's these secular scientists, and they, they were doing it with great care, but they didn't know what they were going to find underneath. They expected to find like cinder block or something. And they took off the, um, the, the, 
the stone, the, the marble, and they removed the um, they removed the panels, and they found the limestone that Jesus would have laid on. I mean, they were just like dumbfounded that that's what was actually there was the rock. And it's remarkable that you can go and just be in that space where Jesus got up. But it's right, it really, what, I'll talk about that next week, but it really is right next to the, to the cross. The edicule. You are so smart and beautiful. <laughs> um, the edicule. And I don't know what that, I think it means small building over the tomb. Uh, and it's Latin, it's Latin. Um, and, um, but the, so the cross is not far from the tomb. I mean, you, also now it's inside the walls, they've moved the walls out because in the Bible, this was all outside the walls. Yeah. Well, you know, it's outside the walls. Oh, yes. No, that's, yeah, it's outside the old walls of Jerusalem, inside the new walls of Jerusalem, uh, which are well inside the new city limits of, of Jerusalem. But, um, but yes, it's in the old city, but it's, um, but it's still, it's in the, I, I, I guess, I don't even know which quarter it's in, but, it's, um, but it, is, it is outside of where the old walls would have been. Anyway, this is, this is the heartbeat right here. And of course, the resurrection is the linchpin, and we'll talk about that next week. So, God bless you. Go to church. I don't know about the zombies. They're, I don't know when they. Did, yeah, when did they put them away? <laughs>